This is Joel Johnson, Senior Minister at Parkview Christian Church. I want to thank you for listening to our sermons online. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me by email at joeljohnson at parkviewfinley.org. So for my wife's birthday this year, I bought her a new set of Bluetooth uh, headphones. And when she got them, she was very careful about opening them and unwrapping them. And uh, the first thing she did, I was impressed with, she took out the instructions read through, charged them, opened up the case, was very specific about pairing them. That first pairing with the phone is very important. It's critical to Bluetooth headphones. So we're very, very specific, very careful in how that works. Is that, is that the way you handle like getting new things, whether it's technology or uh, furniture from Ikea or maybe a set of Legos? I mean, how, how do you open up some new thing? Do you, like my wife, get the instruction manual out and read through very every detailed step, make sure you've got all the pieces organized, lined out, and then begin to find out how this thing works the best way, the way it was intended. Do you, on the other side, tear open the package and just start going, using, trying to figure things out on your own? What do you do? How, how, many, how many of us are, are instruction manual kind of people? Yeah? I'm becoming that way because I've, failed at the try it myself option. How many of you just dig in, tear open the paper and go for it? It's fun, isn't it? I, there, there are times where I'm in the middle or I'll, I'll be so excited. I'll just, I'll just try and figure things out and then get into trouble and go, okay, now I need the book. I really need the book. I'm in, I'm in too deep and figure out how to, how to solve the problems I've created for myself and then use it well. But I've noticed how interesting it is to, to thrive on that excitement. My kids they get the Legos, you know, they, they, there are times where they will follow the instructions and go piece by piece and everything. There are other times where they just, just build whatever they want. Usually we only follow the instructions once and then once they've built it, it gets destroyed and added to the massive Lego thing that they're building because they just let their imaginations go wild. But I find myself in both spots, sometimes really depending on the instructions, sometimes just enjoying that thing that I've got. Today we begin a new sermon series on the armor of God. And as we read through this description that Paul provides in the book of Ephesians, his letter that he wrote to the believers there, we are going to talk about each piece of armor that God has provided for us in the spiritual battle that we face every day. We're going to talk about what each of these pieces mean to us beginning next week. Today, instead, we're going to read through this passage and find out about the instructions that Paul provides about this armor of God, how we use it well, how we can utilize each piece, not only by themselves, but in conjunction with the others. And we're going to go properly by reading the instructions and then diving into what each piece means. So we're going to go to Ephesians chapter six. If you want to open your Bibles and read along with me, you're more than welcome to do that. The words will be on the screen. If you want to use the YouVersion app, you can open up the Bible app, search under events for Parkview Finley and find scripture and sermon notes there in the app. Let's begin reading together in verse 10. Finally, be strong and sound, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert. And always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 
Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now these words from Paul describe to us this incredible set of armor, this impressive description that, of what God has provided to us to equip us for battle. And we recognize as we're reading through this that we're reading about things that we don't normally talk about. We're reading about things that we don't normally even, even think about. The first thing that we're not accustomed to in our world today is going about with armor on. I don't know if any of you are wearing armor today. I'm not. I don't, I don't think about protecting myself in that way when I leave the house in, in the morning. It's not a part of our lifestyle. We find in scripture uh, descriptions of the times when armor was necessary, especially in the terms of, in times of battle. We look into the, the historical accounts of the Old Testament, the people of Israel in, in the days of the kings very often would fight in battles, find themselves at war, conflict with opposing nations. One particular time was in the reign of King Saul, the first king of Israel. He had his army lined up on one side of the Valley of Elah, on the other side of the valley, the Philistines formed their ranks, preparing for battle in the morning and evening. Come and line up, preparing for what was to come. Every morning and every evening, standing opposite sides, face to face. But not fighting. David, a young man who was a servant of the king at the time, who had already been selected by God as the next king of Israel, his brothers were in the army of Israel. They were present on the lines, ready and waiting. David was at home in the fields, tending the flocks, taking care of his father's estate. And his father sent him on many journeys back and forth to the battle line, taking provisions to his brothers, to the commanders for the rest of the army, bringing messages back and forth from his dad to his brothers, finding out information about how the battle was going, bring it back to his dad. This day, David approached the battle lines that were drawn, not being used, both armies standing, bringing grain and bread for his brothers, cheese for other soldiers, for the commanders. And he noted that while his brothers were standing in formation, nothing was happening. And the soldiers were, were talking. They pointed across the valley and David looked and saw this giant of a man standing head and shoulders above the other Philistines, Goliath, taunting the armies of Israel defying them, challenging anyone who might be brave enough to come and face him in single combat. combat. They, would, they would decide the war one-on-one. -on -one. The victor would be decided. And all the people of Israel, hearing this giant challenge them, fled in fear. They were terrified of this man. And as David began to question the soldiers about the situation, his brother said, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what, you don't need any more attention. Why don't you just go back home? But he heard and listened about the, the soldiers saying, what, one of us needs to go and fight. The, the king has offered a reward, wealth to the one who would be victorious. The, the hand of his daughter in marriage, exemption from taxes for his whole family. That's a sweet deal. Somebody should go. None of them were willing. None of them were brave enough. And David kept asking questions. And Someone sent word to the king about this young man. David stood before 
Saul in his tent with his bodyguards. He's not on the battle lines. He's way away. And he, he began to question David about his intentions, saying, you know, you're barely more than a boy. How can I send you to face this giant? And David said, well, maybe I'm a boy, but I'm a shepherd. When I'm in the fields with the flocks, I handle the threats that come. Predators attack the flock. A, a bear came, grabbed one of the sheep and, and carried it away. And I chased the bear down, tore it apart. The Lord saved me from the bear. Another day, a lion attacked the flock and, and carried off a sheep. And I chased down that lion and the Lord saved me from the lion. I brought the sheep back to the herd. This giant, God will save me from him as well. I will be victorious over him because I know that God will deliver me. Saul said, well, I, I, I would feel better if you at least would put on some armor. And he called his men to bring the armor of the king in. And, and they began layering David with, with padding and leather and metal and uh, the breastplate and the helmet and the, the shield and the sword. And this, this young man weighed down with the gear, started to move around in the tent of Saul and realized that, that, that he would be limited severely by the weight of all of this gear. It wasn't made for him and he was not used to it at all. And so he stepped out of the, the belt, put the helmet down, took all of the gear off and went to face Goliath with only his sling. We're not used to putting armor on. And we read a description like this in the book of Ephesians about the armor of God that, that he provides to equip us, to prepare us for battle. Sometimes we feel like David. We're so unaccustomed to the idea of putting all of these things on. We don't even know where to begin. But in the story, we see the heart of David. Not depending on the things that Saul gave him to protect him, but trusting God. Trusting in the hand of God to deliver him, to save him from adversity, depending on the Lord God Almighty to face insurmountable odds. And it's an incredible reminder for us to recognize what it is that God is doing in supplying and equipping us with these provisions. Now, I don't know if you are a fan of, of armor, of swords and weapons. I, I, I grew up loving armor. Not like knights in armor, not like medieval things. I grew up in the 80s. And I loved to watch He-Man. Uh, Saturday morning cartoons were great. My dad would make Jiffy Blueberry waffles. We'd pour syrup on them. And, and I, would, I would just love Saturday morning over and above every other day. And my, my parents saw that I loved He-Man so much, they bought me this, this set of He-Man armor. I don't know if you've watched the 80s version of He-Man. Much greater than the He-Man cartoons on today. Uh, but He-Man doesn't have a lot of armor. When Prince Adam becomes He-Man, there's a lot of muscle. He, he grows to immense size, but there's not a lot protecting him. So I had this little plastic uh, breastplate with, with straps that would hook on my shoulders. I had a, a metal, well, it looked like metal, it was all plastic. It looked like a studded metal buckler. Uh, arm guards, studded metal look-alike, it was all plastic. And there was a sword that I... I could stick in the straps of the breastplate and pull it out. And one side of the sword was the shiny silver plastic that looked like a sword. The other side of the sword was yellow because it was glow in the dark plastic. And so when He-Man would call on the power of Grayskull and, and be filled with this incredible power, I could take this plastic sword and turn it around and pretend to become He-Man. And I would run through the house slashing my sword. My parents would say, stop doing that. Go outside, quit hitting your sisters. 
And I could just live in this confidence of having this armor that made me strong and powerful. This is what God is providing to us. This confidence to recognize that what we've been given in him prepares us to face things that we don't normally talk about, to face things that we don't normally think about, to to stand in the midst of the spiritual battle going on all around us and remain faithful to God when we trust him, when we depend on him, when when, when we lean on him for that confidence and strength that we would be protected and guarded as we don this armor that God in his wisdom equips us with, not just the gear, but also with the strength, with the spirit of God, with the wisdom to use it well. So as we think about what this armor means, what it, what it means to have faith and truth and righteousness and salvation and the spirit of God as our defense and as our weapons, the first thing we want to do is to, to talk about the instructions that Paul lists at the beginning and end of this passage. And through this passage, we find four very specific instructions. The first thing that Paul tells us to do as we think about putting on the armor of God is to be strong in the Lord. Actually, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power that we would depend on the Lord for our strength, that we would not think about how strong we are. It was like David, when we think about putting on the armor of God, the first thing we're confronted with is the fact that we aren't strong enough to even stand under the weight of all this metal, let alone stand in, in the midst of a battle, let alone use it to overcome the schemes of Satan. But what we need to do is to be strengthened in the Lord, to draw our strength from him in his presence, be filled with his power. And in that recognition, also be filled with the confidence that comes from being able to trust God to deliver us, to overcome and to stand. It's important for us to to be reminded that God isn't calling on those with the physical strength to overcome or the mental prowess to be victorious or the influence to change the minds of people. What God is calling on us to do is to submit, to depend wholly on him and his strength and recognize that with his power and with his armor, we have a chance to stand our ground and overcome. And so we're, we find strength in the Lord, as Paul tells us the first thing. The second thing that, that he tells us is we need to put on the full armor of God. Now, if we receive the armor of God and, and we take that and we put it in the closet and we continue going about our lives without it, it doesn't do any good. If you have a shield, that you leave at home and go out your day. It's not going to protect you from anything. If you have a helmet that you wear, and some of you, you know, you ride motorcycles, you, do, you, you have a helmet that you, you wear. If you're not wearing that helmet, it doesn't protect your head from anything. You have to put it on in order for it to work. When we hear about the armor of God, we recognize that, that we need to put all of that armor on in order for it to be effective. We can't leave it behind. We can't set it aside. We have to utilize it in our lives. And we have to be reminded that that we can't just pick up the thing that we need 
and expect it to work the way it should. We can't, we can't think about, well, I'm going to grow in my relationship with God. And so what I need is, is my, my sword, the, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I'm going, to, I'm going to study God's word today. I don't need the belt of truth. I don't need the breastplate of righteousness. All I need is the sword. And we find ourselves ill-equipped because we aren't utilizing what God has provided us, the full armor of God. Maybe we think about going and making a difference in the life of another person and talking to them about our faith. And we think, well, if I'm going to share the gospel, all I need is the readiness of the gospel of peace. All I need is the footwear. And we go to talk about the word of God, but we haven't put on the, the, the belt of truth. And maybe our words are wrong. We haven't put on the breastplate of righteousness and our behavior isn't right. And, and we're, we're, our life isn't a reflection of the truth of the message that we're presenting to them about the Lord. And so that gospel becomes ineffective because we aren't utilizing the pieces of armor in the way that we should. If we wait until the need arises, if we wait until we're under attack and we try to put on the armor that we left at home, we run back and, and start pulling out of the closet and start putting it on quickly, you know what will happen? We won't be able to put it on properly. We might not be able to buckle it correctly. We might not be prepared to use it the way we're supposed to use it because we've not practiced with it. We've not had it on. We're not prepared. We find ourselves frantically trying to grow accustomed to a set of armor that's cumbersome and awkward and effective like David standing in the suit of King Saul's armor, unable to use it. What we need to do is to put on the armor of God each and every day of our lives to be prepared to face challenge, struggle, and difficulty so that we can develop the strength that we need to move about in the armor, develop the skill we need to use it properly, to develop familiarity with the tools that God has provided to us so that we can use his equipment well. We need to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of, every, of evil in the heavenly realms. When we put on most of the full armor of God, but we don't have all of the pieces on, what we have is a huge gaping hole in our armor a vulnerability, a place of weakness. And when Satan attacks, is he going to attack the strongest part of our armor? No, he's going to attack the weakest spot. He's going to attack the place where he thinks he'll be the most successful, the weakest place at the weakest time. And so we need to have the full armor of God on so that we can take our stand against the devil's. Now, Armor is something we don't talk about a lot in our world today. Modern America, we don't have the need to wear physical armor around. Another thing that we don't talk about a lot is the idea of, of the heavenly realms, these unseen spiritual forces. We think a little bit about temptation, yes. We think about the image of the devil, maybe, but we, we rarely talk about the spiritual battle that's going on around us, this, this war that's waged over our, our very souls. We, we recognize there's conflict in the world, but usually we focus on the things that we can see. When we face difficulty, we focus on the challenges that we recognize. When, when we are overwhelmed and overcome, we, we focus on the people that are creating problems for us, not recognizing the spiritual battle taking place, that those difficulties and those people aren't the real problem. It's the spiritual forces at work behind the scenes. 
people we encounter, the difficulties we face, are not our real enemy. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. Spiritual warfare. And though it may sound awkward, though you may not be accustomed to hearing it, this is a reality. I believe in God. But I also believe that angels and demons and evil spirits and Satan exist. The reason that I believe that is because I believe in the truth of the word of God. I believe that it is God-breathed. I believe that it is accurate. I believe that it is right and true and useful. And in the pages of scripture, I read stories of all of these things that are present in the world. In the gospels, Jesus and his disciples encountered people who are under the control of evil spirits. And as they encountered them, they drove those evil spirits out of them. Jesus encountered a man so full of evil spirits that they referred to themselves as legion, an entire legion of spirits. And Jesus drove those spirits out of the man. Paul and Silas on their journeys through the book of Acts encountered a girl who had a a spirit that could tell the fortunes of other people. And she followed Paul and Silas around telling everybody, these people are from God. She was telling their business to everybody. And they got so frustrated that they drove the spirit out of her. And and those who were gaining from her fortune telling were angry with them. We we read these accounts and, and while we don't often talk about the presence of evil in the world today in terms of Satan and evil spirits and demons, the fact is they, they do exist. And while we don't usually think about the unseen heavenly realm, we have to be confronted with, with the biblical image of Satan. And sometimes we think about Satan as the, the cartoon face of temptation, this little guy with red horns and a red suit with a pitchfork and a pointy tail. And it's a characterization more cute than scary. But the biblical description of Satan is very real and very threatening. He's called a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, who sets traps. He said to masquerade as an angel of light, full of deception, 1 Peter 5.8. Talks about your enemy, the devil, who prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. His goal is to turn your heart away from the Lord. His goal is to make you fall to temptation. And he uses a variety of tactics. The first is deception. And sometimes that deception is effective because it's so similar to the truth. And Satan twists the truth, turns it, sometimes even twisting scripture to mean something that it never intended to mean, to take it out of context. And he draws people away from faithful obedience to the Lord by using words from the Bible to validate things that aren't a part of God's will. Sometimes that deception is blatant and frightening and people have been drawn away from the Lord to begin worshiping other things, to begin following a different religion and have turned their hearts willingly away from God because of the deception of Satan. Some people have turned away from the Lord because they're so overwhelmed with the lies of Satan that overwhelm them about their own self-worth, about their relationships. And they become overwhelmed with deceiving thoughts. They aren't worthy of the Lord. They aren't worthy of other people that they become, they come to a place in life where they have no hope. 
cause of the lies that they have begun to believe. Satan uses that deception. He also uses temptation, presenting to us in our weakest moments, at the, at the most difficult time for us, the things that we secretly desire, those things that would draw our hearts away from the Lord, those things that we might confidently deny at the best times of our life, he presents to us at the worst possible moments in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of conflict, in the midst of, of arguments. He places temptation in front of us, hoping to trip us up, hoping to make us fall, hoping to pull us away from the Lord. There are times when the schemes of Satan look more like distraction. Rather than working to create some kind of moral failure, Satan instead draws our attention to other busy things and we get wrapped up in a schedule and we give our attention to things that seem important at the time. And all the while, we're slowly turning our minds and our hearts away from the Lord and, and allowing our lives to be wrapped up in the busyness of life so that we're no longer effective. We're no longer serving the Lord with our full heart, with our full strength, and with our full mind, but we're divided because we've allowed ourselves to become distracted. There are other times when Satan influence and control hoping to find a foothold in our lives, a place to take us captive, use us against people around us. There are all kinds of ways that Satan will scheme, tear us away from the Lord. And we have to be ready and prepared. We have to recognize the danger that's present. Cause of the spiritual battle that's taking place in and around our lives. And we don't, we don't often talk about these things. And, and there, are, there have been some books written that create a, a, an opportunity for you to kind of uh, open your mind to see how those things happen. I don't know if you've come across the book, uh, The Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis, uh, a fictitious account of two, two demons that are talking about how to draw Christians away from God, how to distract them from their worship of the Lord, how to, how to pull their minds away from wholehearted devotion to God. It's a fascinating uh, account of how that might happen. There's a, a book that I read over our vacation the last couple of weeks called the This Present Darkness, written by Frank Peretti. And there's, there's some things in the book that are a bit of a stretch, but the, the presentation, this fictitious account of the, this battle being waged between angels and demons, it, it, it helps us to see what these references from Scripture might have looked like played out and be aware of the conflict that's happening. And open our eyes to the realm of spiritual things that are unseen in the world around us. And to recognize the value of, of having been given spiritual armor of God that, that guards us, that protects us, that, that supplies everything we need to stand in the midst of this battle to, to overcome encounters with the enemy. Not just armor that's been given to us from God, but armor of God. That God has provided to us the very things that he himself would wear. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 59, we read about God preparing himself and putting on the same pieces of armor and more. Verse 17 says, he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head. Imagine the confidence that we have knowing that God cares enough for us 
to give us his very own helmet, to, to, to provide to us his very own breastplate of righteousness, to, to supply us with the critical components that we need to stand against the schemes of Satan in our lives. We're worthy to bear armor in our lives if we will find strength in him and put it on. Those are the first two instructions we have from Paul. The third instruction we have from him is to take a stand. It says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. I don't know if you, you like war movies, if, you, if you, you're a history buff and you, you've seen what battles look like. But this, this is strategic language, military language. Stand your ground. Hold the line. Prepare yourself so that you can defend and protect those behind you. Stand your ground. Be prepared. Don't give ground and retreat. Don't allow the enemy to take the place where you're standing. Don't, don't create a hole in the line and allow the enemy to get behind your line. Stand your ground. Prepare yourself so that after you've done everything, after you've faced all this difficulty, that you will still be standing. difficult for us to think about and wrap our minds around. And so the last instruction Paul gives us is, is a reassurance that we have. In verse 18, he says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, he says, that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. And Paul reminds us, as we find strength in the Lord, as we put on the full armor, as we take our stand, we need to always keep on praying. Continue lifting up requests before the Lord, all kinds of requests to God. And pray in the Spirit. Pray using the power of the Holy Spirit of God, who makes God accessible to us, who who prays on our behalf and carries our messages to God, who, who inspires our thoughts in prayer and guides our prayers so that we're praying for the right things, who, who recognizes that while we're praying, there are feelings in our heart that we can't quite articulate. And he carries those feelings to God and translates them so that the Lord understands what it is that we're thinking and feeling as we pray. Even when we don't know what to say, the, the Holy Spirit is working alongside of us, working inside of us. We need to trust his presence and his power as we pray as we're given confidence and strength in the Lord to continue praying, to always keep on praying, to be diligent in our prayer life, to be selfless in our prayers, to, to pray for all those standing next to us. So one of the things that's uh, highlighted by a commentator, the significance of this armor of God is that we're not equipped to be a gladiator standing alone, like Goliath did challenging someone to one-on-one -on -one combat. We're equipped with the armor of a soldier who stands in line shoulder to shoulder with other soldiers, whose shields lock together to form a wall. We are called to don the armor of God, knowing that the, the believers and the family of the church next to us are also putting on the armor of God. That we're standing side by side to resist the schemes of our enemy. That we're praying for one another, encouraging one another, strengthening one another by simply standing together in the midst of the spiritual battle. And we're reminded of the strength that we have, not only in God, but the strength that he provides because we stand side by side with other believers, holding one another up, encouraging one another in the midst of our battles that we face, 
holding one another accountable to the temptations that we're facing, encouraging one another to grow closer to the Lord as we continue to stand faithfully devoted to him. We always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. This, this language that Paul uses. Be alert and always keep on praying. It's the language that, that reminds me of what it is to be on guard duty, sentry. At night when the rest of the army is asleep, those few men or women who stand and watch, diligent, faithful, alert, unwilling to be distracted, unwilling to let their guard down. Why? Because everyone is depending on them. This is, this is the language Paul uses for us to be reminded, to always keep on praying, to be alert, to be watchful, and to care for those around us by continually praying for them, to never let our guard down, to never get distracted, to never, to never be the one to fail because we refuse to pray, but to strengthen one another with encouragement as we pray for one another. And here's, Here's how important this is that Paul, as he's writing to the church in Ephesus, as he's, as he's, as he's pointing them to the danger of the spiritual warfare going on all around him, here's what he asks of them. Pray for me, he says. An ambassador in chains, pray for me that when the opportunity comes, I might have the right words to say. That I could declare the mysteries of the gospel fearlessly. Pray for me. That's a challenge for us to live up to. That we would be willing to put on the armor of God and to take a stand. That we would be willing to live faithfully devoted to him. So that when the moment presents itself, we would be ready. So that when the moment presents itself, we would know that people are praying for us to have the right words that when that person who needs to know the Lord is standing in front of us, we would walk into that conversation confident that God will provide the very words that, that person needs to hear to recognize their need for Jesus. That that person needs to hear to discover his love and grace. The words that, that person needs to hear to be willing to surrender their hearts and accept Christ as their Lord and Savior. We need to be ready for that moment. And if we aren't standing in the face of temptation, if we aren't standing faithfully devoted to the Lord, if our words aren't true, if our behavior is poor, we won't be able to take that moment captive and to honor the Lord with our lives as we present the gospel, as we present a, an image of what the love and grace of Christ looks like in our lives. Incredible moment for us to step into. Let's pray together. God, thank you for this description you provide for us about your armor. Thank you for giving us instructions about how we can use it well. God, I pray right now that you would prepare us for these moments that we're, we will face, that you would guard us and protect us. We pray that you would present opportunities for us to share your gospel and that you would provide the words that we need in those moments. God, we thank you for the way that you challenge us. We thank you for the way that you protect us. We thank you for the, the way that you provide strength for us to stand. God, I pray that you would give us the willingness to do just that, to put on your armor, take our stand, and to pray continually. Lord, we thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray.